This morning we are looking at John 11, uh, 1 through 44. And uh, I like this one. John 11, 1 through 44. That's all I'm going to say. Before we read it, you'll find, you'll find the words up here on your screen if you've got it with you. Uh, before we read it, let's pray. Again, God, we just thank you for your presence. Spirit, thank you. Uh, here in these next few moments, as we, as we listen to this story and as we think about it, uh, we pray that you would speak. Pray that you would open our hearts. Help us to see it, hear it, feel it, experience it. Whatever it is you have in store for us. Move us. Surprise us. Change us. Transform us for your glory. Amen. A little bit of a longer story, so let's get it. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the day daytime will not stumble, for they see by his, this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is, come, is to come into the world. 
After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There's a story for you. So, if you have this vague feeling inside that you thought about this story sort of recently, um, that might actually be true, because I preached on it last August. So if you were here last August, uh, then you heard me preach on this. Uh, and then uh, it came up again on the lectionary uh, today, which is the, the list of scriptures that the church sort of worldwide um, listens to and walks through at the same time if you follow the lectionary. And I was like, oh man, I just did this. Um, and then I, I read it a few more times. I'm like, okay, we can do this again. So we're going to do it again, this time from a, a little different angle. Um, and I was uh, tempted to say after I read the story, so good, because that's what I always say. Um, but if I'm honest, I don't know that I could say after reading that story, so good. I don't know that I could say it and mean it. Um, so that's why I didn't say it, because this is a strange story. This is a mysterious story. This is a story that for me raises lots of questions. Questions I've had a lot of fun trying to answer, but all the answers I come up with seem to be seem to be inadequate. There are lots of things that, that I, just, I just don't understand about this story. Um, maybe you have questions too. Do you want to hear the questions I have about this story? Because I, I, I think it's good for us to do this. Let's raise some questions and let them sit there. Questions that maybe we don't know the answers to. Can we do that? Here's some of the questions I have about this story. Why does Jesus mess around for two whole days before he does anything? And then he doesn't go down there. He, he's like, let's go to Judea. Like, he hears his good friend Lazarus is sick. 
and he messes around for two days and doesn't do anything. And, then, and if you do, the math seems fuzzy to me too, because then when he does get there, he's been in the tomb for four days. The math doesn't square for me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why he, he sort of takes his time. It's like, what are you doing, Jesus? I don't get it. Why does Jesus, here's, here's this might be the big one. I got others, but here's, this might be the big one. Why does Jesus allow his friend to die and Lazarus' friends, his dear friends, why does he allow them to suffer all for God's glory? I don't get it. I don't understand it. And that then raises a whole bunch of other questions that we don't have time to get into right now. Um, that's a big one for me. Why does Jesus tell his disciples that Lazarus is only sleeping when clearly he's dead? He has died. I don't understand that. I don't get it. Why does Jesus brush off, not once, but twice, the accusation, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died? He just sort of sidesteps it. He doesn't answer it directly. doesn't say much, right? It's just kind of, okay. Why does Jesus only raise Lazarus from the dead? Like, clearly people were dying around that time. You're Jesus. Why don't you do something about it? But he only raises Lazarus from the dead. I don't understand it. I don't get it. It's just the way it is. Okay? And why? Why does Lazarus, once he's raised from the dead, disappear from John's story about Jesus? Like, we don't, we basically, he's basically gone. Raised from the dead. It seems like he would have been a great guy to have around so that other people would then believe. Hi, I'm Lazarus. Yeah, Jesus raised me from the dead. Like, you didn't have to be there. That's fine. I'm here to tell you about it so that other people, because apparently believing is an important thing in this story. Like, why does he just disappear? Like, he could have been an important guy to, to sort of raise support for the movement. Like, but he's gone. Why does he just sort of disappear? I don't get it. I don't understand. So, lots of questions. Lots of strangeness happening in this story. Lots of, lots of mystery. Lots of things that, that I don't know that I fully understand. And maybe you have more questions. So today, I want, us to think about, I want us to think about two words that I think we all understand. Just two words. A whole sermon on two words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And uh, thank God Jesus wept. Jesus, who shows us exactly what God is like. Jesus, who shows us what it, what it means to truly be a human. Jesus, who reveals the very heart of God allows himself to be overcome with grief as he stands there outside of his good friend Lazarus's tomb and he weeps. Now, in sort of paying attention to and thinking about the tears of Jesus, I'm not trying to minimize or ignore the raising of Lazarus. That's like the big pop in the story. That's like the, the, the thing that this whole story is about. Jesus raised Lazarus 
from the dead. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm not trying to ignore that. It's just that Easter is two weeks from now, and i got to have something to say on Easter. So, so we're going to think about the tears of Jesus. Besides, before we get to Easter, as my dad always likes to say, you got to get through Good Friday. Can't get to Easter without going through Good Friday. Tears, mourning, sorrow, grief. This is important work. Really important work. The tears of Jesus. Like this is the, this is the part of the story that we like to minimize normally when we, when we read this story. Jesus wept. Let's get to the raising of Lazarus. This is the part that we like to minimize. Let's, I think these, these tears are too important to minimize. Because I think the tears of Jesus can teach us some things. So we're going to think about the tears of Jesus. What can they teach us? A few things. I think the tears of Jesus legitimize, they legitimize the reality of all human grief. Look, Jesus' brokenness in the face of loss um, undermines, negates, wipes out all forms of Christian prosperity gospel teaching. Totally nullifies it undermines it all. The idea that if we're just faithful enough, that if, we're, if we just believe the right things, that if we just act in the best way, obey all of the rules, then good things will come to us and we will be blessed. Because who was more faithful, who believed the right, all the right things, did all the right things, obeyed all the right rules more than Jesus. And here he is at the tomb of his friend who's dead. And Jesus wept. Sometimes really horrible things just happen. And we have to leave room for lament. We have to create space for grief. Because we grieve all sorts of things. And we could be here for a half an hour just talking about all the things that we grieve. We grieve the loss of loved ones. Think about your loved ones who are now gone. We grieve the loss of loved ones. And I don't know if that ever really totally goes away. We carry that with us. We grieve the loss of pets. Pets. We lost a cat a year and a half ago. I'm going to tear up right now. This is so weird. We lost a cat a year and a half ago. Jesse, I miss that boy a lot. We grieve. We, we grieve, some of us, we grieve our present. How things are going right now because our present isn't what we thought it was going to be. Like we had goals we had plans. We had this picture in our mind about how life was going to be, and this isn't it. It's just, it's not happening the way we thought it would happen. Everything is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. We grieve that we have to grow up. We grieve that we have to 
that we have to mature, that we have to change. We grieve that our children have to grow up. Like, they don't tell you this before you decide to have kids, that it's just, a, it's just grief all the way. Because they're this big and you love it. It's so great. And you enjoy watching them grow up, but you're always like, oh my goodness, that stage was so beautiful. And you grieve as you watch your kids have to grow up because they have to change. They have to mature. They have to grow. And that's freaking hard. That's really hard. So we grieve. Some of us have, have grieved the loss of friendships. Sometimes it's through betrayal. Sometimes it's, it's just we, we fall away. We fall apart, and that's the way things are. We fall out of touch. Some of us are grieving the loss of what we thought our nation was. Like something happened over the last six to eight years that revealed a, a deep divide that we didn't know was there. But now it's sort of come to the surface, and now we see it everywhere, and we grieve what we thought our nation was. Some of us are grieving what's happening in the church today. Just endless splitting and disagreement, and in some cases, real abuse and not much love of Christ. That makes us grieve. Some of us are grieving laws that are being passed right now that are putting the lives of some of the most vulnerable people among us in very, very real danger. Some of us are grieving the loss of civility, the loss of decency. Rhetoric in our world right now is really destructive and dehumanizing and dangerous, and we grieve it. Some of us are grieving the loss of certainty as we struggle, as we doubt, as we question, as we wonder. And I may or may not have just revealed to you all of my junk. But I suspect that I'm not alone. Grief. It's a constant companion. It's always with us. It's always right there. And the tears of Jesus legitimize the reality of all human grief. When Jesus cries, what is he communicating? He's communicating to Mary and Martha that their brother was worth crying for. But not only that, he's communicating to Mary and Martha that they're worth crying with. Jesus wept. God cries with us. Thank God Jesus wept. Next, I think Jesus' tears sort of honor the complexity and weirdness and strangeness of life and also the uncertainty of tomorrow. I think about the story. Think about Lazarus. Think about what's next for him. Just think about it. The raising of Lazarus doesn't do anything to change his past. It doesn't heal the pain of sickness that he had to go through and the memory of having to say goodbye to his loved ones for the very last time. 
like he gets raised from death and he's like, I'm going to have to go through all of that again. Whew. Everything is different for him now. His whole world is changed. Maybe the reality of him being raised from the death, dead makes him a hero. Or maybe it does the opposite. Either way, life for him was now going to be strange and different and scary. And I think the tears of Jesus honor that change. I think he grieves because life for Lazarus will never be the same again. It's now changed, and change is hard, constant and hard. And some experiences in life, they just change us forever. I think the tears of Jesus honor that, honor the complexity of life, the uncertainty of tomorrow. Here's another thing that I think the tears of Jesus do for us. I think the tears of Jesus reveal us the necessity, reveal to us the necessity of silence. Like sometimes words won't do. Look at the story. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice, he doesn't respond. But he feels deeply what she's feeling. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was now deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He doesn't talk his way out of it. He doesn't try to explain himself. He doesn't admonish her for speaking from her pain. He simply asks, where have you laid him? He just wants to be there with them. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. I think it's important to pay attention to the words of Jesus, obviously. But maybe it's just as important for us to pay attention to the times when Jesus refuses to speak. Sometimes there's nothing we can say, especially in the face of loss. Oh, people say all kinds of things in the face of loss. Most of them are heartless and insensitive. I got a few other words I'd like to say about them, but I won't. Well, at least they're in a better place. Imagine Jesus saying that to Mary and Martha. At least, least he's in a better place. Just don't. Here's another thing people sometimes say. Hey, everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. I don't believe that. Sometimes things just happen, and I kind of want to smack you in the lip right now for saying that to me. I'm not going to just need you to know that that's a feeling I'm feeling right now because you just said that to me. Like, we could have fun talking about all the insensitive things that people say, but we're not going to. Two's enough. Jesus gets to the tomb, enters into their pain, allows his pain to come out, and weeps. 
Sometimes there's nothing we can say in the face of loss. Sometimes our tears, that's enough. Jesus says nothing. We religious people like to rush to words. Bible verses, sayings, promises. Jesus says nothing. And through his tears, he shows us that sometimes, sometimes the faithful thing to do is to just be silent. Sometimes the loving thing to do is to just be with and be quiet. The tears of Jesus, I think, recognize the necessity of silence. So the sermon matches the weather. <laughs> so that's three things um, about the tears of Jesus. Normally I stop after three things, but it's bonus Sunday. There's one more thing. I think the tears of Jesus also show us that sorrow, sorrow can be a strong driving force for change. Now you think about the story of Lazarus, it's the powerful shared experience of this profound grief and, star and sorrow that then leads to change. It leads to transformation. It's because Jesus experiences the awfulness of death that he recognizes in himself his immediate need to, to restore life. His sorrow, his empathy, his deep sense of compassion moves him to healing, resurrecting action. And maybe the tears of Jesus can ignite something in us that will move us into healing, resurrecting action. If we allow them to. So when we look around at the world, what breaks your heart? What breaks our hearts? When we look around at the world, our community, the city of Ames, what cracks us open? What enrages us on behalf of others to the point where we just can't do nothing anymore? Enough is enough. Can we get up off our you-know-whats, move into those spaces, and do something? Will we work for transformation in places where we see destruction, oppression, injustice? Will we allow our deep sense of sorrow to become a, a strong driving force for change, for justice? Or maybe, maybe we just start with our own selves. As we look at our own lives, are there things in our own lives that bring about a sense of grief? Are there things about our own selves that bring about a sense of sorrow. And can we let that sense of sorrow move us to have a deep sense of compassion for our own selves that can then move us into healing, resurrecting action? I think the tears of Jesus show us that sorrow can, can be a strong driving force for change doesn't have to be this way.
This is a strange story with lots of questions, questions we may not ever have the answers to. It's a story filled with all kinds of things that we don't understand, but Jesus wept. That we understand. That we get. Lent is coming to a close, and we'll be paying attention to the death and resurrection of Jesus but maybe for now the tears of Jesus are just the right things to keep us open. Maybe the tears of Jesus are, are just the right things to keep us both humble and brave. Maybe his out-in-the-open expression of grief and sorrow will give us permission to do the hard work of grief and healing. Or maybe move us to the place where we can ask for help with that hard work. And maybe the tears of Jesus will move us into compassion, out into the world that desperately needs more empathy and more love. Let's pray.